Welcome to the West of North London podcast, where we sit down each and every week to answer your big Arsenal questions. I'm Caleb. And I'm Tim. And North London is red. (laughs) Was there any doubt? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's always red. (laughs) Um, I, you know, we'll, we'll definitely be going deep on that game, but, you know, there's, there's, there's been some doubts about whether Arsenal are the dominant team and it's been a lot of push and pull, but I think, I think we're on the ascendancy. I get, I get the feeling we're going the right direction. We are going the right direction. And there's a fun little stat that they said, and it's that Tottenham has never beaten Arsenal twice in a season during the premier premier league, which is just a reminder of how dominant they've been. And, and, you know, when you look at the, the, the total stats that Arsenal has like, at least 15 more victories than Tottenham in the overall series. So I, I would say that until they can pass us in overall victories, there's no, there, there's no doubt that our, our North London is red. The trophies really do all the talking. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Besides the fact that, yeah, no trophies. So let's, let's get, get through our other business and then we'll get into this game. But first of all, what are you drinking this week? I'm switching it up. Um, I decided to go with a, a glass of wine tonight. Oh, I know it's a, we get a, a wine delivery service every uh, couple of months. Cause uh, my lovely lady friend's a wine drinker, not a beer drinker. And so we have this box of wine that shows up and we usually, she's a white wine drinker, but she puts in a couple of bottles of red and I was feeling like it a little cel- celebratory mode, you know, in honor of North London being red, I'm having a, a red blend from, Paso Robles. It's called a uh, Camille Benita, which sounds cool, and it's good. It's fine. I mean, it's not the most amazing red wine I've ever had, but it, you know, it's a good red wine. If someone hasn't made a North London red, you know, wine, I think that needs to happen. Um, you shouldn't have said this on the podcast. Can we TM <laughs> that real quick? I mean, I'm no winemaker, but you don't. You just we, have to we, be the we brand. We need to start that label. Yeah. No, that'll that'll be our our first merchandising. Screw shirts or scarves or stickers. We're going to do North London's red, <laughs> just exclusive Arsenal themed wines that uh, we just rebottle other people's wines. Yeah. Oh. Oh, that would be a good uh, good little. Like you can make puns about players' names. Yeah, I'm into it. Okay, nobody take that idea. Yeah. Or if you want to take that idea, you can fund us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We will take a percentage of the uh, profits. <laughs> we'll take a, an idea percentage. Um, I am drinking one of my favorite brands of beer and maybe one of my favorite beers by them. I am drinking the Bale Breaker Bottom Cutter Imperial mm-hmm. IPA this week. That is such a good beer. I know, I'm sure we've talked about them before on the pod because they're one of my favorite uh, beers too. I, I, you know, it's a brewery that's right on the actual hops farm, so you can't really get fresher hops than that. Have you been out to that brewery? No, I'm, I want to. They're actually supposedly opening up a, a tap room in uh, Ballard soon, so oh, cool. I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, they, they're the brewery. Uh, I forget it's in in uh, Eastern Washington somewhere. I forget which city. They're in Moxie. Uh, oh, Moxie, that's right. And the the brewery is just like smack dab in the middle of like a hops field. So like, it's a beautiful area. There's just hops everywhere. It's a, yeah, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I really want to go out there. I my family, my my dad and all his family are from Moxie, and so they're 
my grandma once upon a time was was one of those hop hop pickers. That was her oh, cool. her summer job. So um it's 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 a brand and a thing that's near and dear to my heart. So I I, I think I, I there's some um some love for this this uh beer just from the family connections there. No, totally. Yeah. And as I say, being so close to the uh productions is uh only makes the beer better, you know? I can taste it. Yeah. It tastes good. <laughs> it really is like one of the best um uh Imperial IPAs, I think, out there. So oh, yeah, without a doubt. The top cutter and the bottom cutter really are my my go to IPAs. Yeah, I think I've had a couple other things and they're fine, but the uh from them, but the the top cutter is just so classic and just like if you're if you're looking for just an IPA definition standard top cutter is is where it's at yeah it is the the thing i compare everything else to pretty much yeah totally all right now that we've sang sang the praises of of our beers and wines here and we'll try to you know we talked about getting pictures and putting them on our instagram i'm I'm gonna stand by that i'm gonna try to take a picture of my beer at least i I won't hold you to taking a picture of, of your glass of wine but i still have the bottle take a picture of the bottle okay there we go you send it my way we'll 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 get it online so everybody can see what we got (laughs) totally all right so you've got a question for me this week what do you got all right. So my question this week is, there were a couple annoying pet peevey fouls during the North London Derby, things that I get on my soapbox about. So I wanted to know uh, for you, Caleb, what fouls do you find like the most annoying? Like what, what fouls, like, you know, do you have a pet peeve? Like, do you like to get on your soapbox about? Oh, I, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, I get annoyed a lot by um, the the undercutting foul, the undercutting uh, a jumping player. That's really annoying to me. That Gee, doesn't there, get called. Is there a famous Tottenham player that uh, does that all the time and probably should get some bans for it? I think he he, he it should really be be called the cane. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that one's really annoying. I don't I I can't recall him doing that in this game. But given the opportunity, I'm sure he would have and had a couple others that were um, questionable anyway. But um, that one really gets to me. And then I'm trying to think of what else. I, you know, the, the one that um, doesn't get called enough or isn't called more seriously, I should say, is the, the, the scissoring or wrapping the legs mm-hmm. around a, a, a player. Because it's, it's one thing to tackle a player, but that, I, that is dangerous play and should be a yellow card more automatically. And for some reason it just gets called a foul more often than not and not a, a, a serious uh, foul. And I don't, I don't know why that is because that, that second leg, the wrapping of a player is just so, so dangerous and really annoying that to me that doesn't, doesn't get called more often. Yeah, and you know, as Arsenal fans, we know that really well, having lost Diaby, a couple other players to those types of tackles. And so yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I think for for the most part, um, those are my main two, but I think the one that's really jumped out at me lately is um the persistent fouling on on players, like the rotational fouling that we've seen on Saka. I think that's something that um 
the referees association needs to take a look at as as far as a point of emphasis for um, next season and beyond because it, it seems like something that is easily dismissed but when you see a, when you're calling a foul it's not that a, a referee needs to keep track of just who who is making the foul but who is getting consistently fouled so it's not enough to to um, kind of keep in the back of your mind uh, players who are persistently fouling but players who are persistently fouled by a, by a whole team seem seems to be something that slips by but we've seen Saka just get destroyed by by teams lately and exactly. they just take lining up taking turns it's like that scene in airplane where they got all the people <laughs> lined up in the aisle trying to <laughs> instead of slapping somebody that you know they've got all the people with the weapons that's an old reference i yeah. so go watch airplane if you haven't seen that movie <laughs> <laughs> i saw it uh, for the first time like three years ago for a friend's birthday anyways uh yeah, and getting back to on track, uh, the the worrying thing is that if you do that to Saka, a young player, that's going to shorten his career. It can, you know, as I mentioned before, those types like fouls can get really bad. And if a player just constantly is getting fouled, it's going to shorten their career. So, yeah, there has to be something done about that. Yeah, I think that it's part of it is he hasn't bedded himself in far enough with the uh, the English national team. Like once he gets higher profile there, he'll probably start getting protected. Yeah. Oh, that, that that was annoying to see that type of protection offered to certain players on Tottenham. Uh-huh. <laughs> it goes both ways. It's not even like you're protecting them from getting hurt. You know, the looking the other way on Kane is a, is yeah. a fine example of of how much protection they're getting. Exactly. Well, what were there were there other ones that that really get to you? Uh the one those are all good candidates. Um the one that really sticks to my mind and we saw it in the North London Dollar be actually get called, which is uh, hands to the face. Uh, it never gets called, and it, it like it, it's part of the rules. And I never understand it where players are allowed to like you know pat a player on the cheek, being all sarcastic, or like kind of put their hands around the throat. Sometimes like they get away with this hands to the throat contact, and in the, by the letter of the law, deliberate hands to the face is always a yellow. Like it's just it is, and they're I, I just never see it called, which is why I was glad I did see it called uh, during the game on uh, this weekend. You know, we were we were just having a conversation about maybe doing some video for the podcast, you know, having some little video segments. And I think it would be a great idea to do a breakdown of different types of fouls and yeah. stuff that bugs us about those. So I would like to delve into this deeper on video. So maybe yeah, we'll we'll do that soon soon in not too distant future. <laughs> I can put on my cleats and do some reenactments. Not on me. <laughs> <laughs> You can take your girlfriend out there. <laughs> I, I may not be a smart man, but I'm not that dumb. Just don't tell her what you're doing until you start. <laughs> We're just playing soccer. <laughs> All right. So enough with the bad ideas. <laughs> let's uh, let's get into this um, North London Derby because that was that was a hell of a game. I'm feeling pretty pretty happy about that one. Oh, it. It's amazing how much a derby win just makes your your next week. I'm still giddy about it. I was making, I had a Zoom call earlier, and I was uh, making references to it in the Zoom call. Like it's, yeah, it's it, it's exactly the result I wanted. You know, yeah. How com- how confident did you really feel when that that game started? <laughs> well, I mean, especially without Obama Yang starting, which I know we're going to get into. Uh, I. I I wasn't 100% confident, but I, I think 
I was more confident than I would have been about two months ago. Mm-hmm. Tottenham has definitely taken a dive in form, and Mourinho is definitely going true to type Mourinho right now. And having watched, I, I watched quite a few games, and having watched a couple uh, Tottenham games, and just see how they set up. They they're scary going forward. There's no doubt about that. Often, mm-hmm. not this game really until the very end, but they're scary going forward. But they just they don't. I don't know. There's no fun about how they play. There's no uh, excitement. They rely on Kane and uh, Son quite a bit. And if they are having an off game, they have nothing else to offer. And I think we saw that quite a bit. Yeah, I kind of felt like they had maybe figured out how to incorporate Bale into that mix better. And they were starting to find some, some form that way. But that did not come to pass in this game. I will take... Doherty and and uh, Bale on that side all day long, every day. If we could get that type of space on that side, like it, we'd be undefeated. It, it was amazing. It was it, you love to see it. Yeah, I was really um, surprised. I think at what 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 the the amount of space that they were giving us to work with, and we can we, maybe we we back up a little bit because I want to go back to that Aubameyang thing to, to start out before we get too far into this. Um, we've got a question, so we'll, we'll, we'll kind of wrap this, wrap this in with that. But uh, former guest, Chris Ledbetter, has got a question for us about the Aubameyang situation. Um, he says, discuss the captain being benched for one of the biggest matches of the season. Do you think we've put this behind us or do we expect more issues? So we've talked about it a little bit, um, but he, Aubameyang, was supposedly uh, late to the match. And it, in, in turn, Arteta decided to keep him on the bench instead of starting him. And so that was a bit of a shock to me when that game kicked off that he was not not available or not not in the team. And uh, I'm assuming that was Lacazette taking up that space, not Emile Smith-Rowe. But, um, I, you know, the nice part is the lineup wasn't severely impacted. I felt like, okay, Aubameyang's not in, but this isn't a bad team. So, you know, even Lacazette filling that role wasn't the biggest concern in my mind. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, I think there's two parts to discuss, which is one is the uh, the the d- disciplinary issue, which I'm going to get to next. But uh, just as far as how the team looks, I'm, I'm amazed. I was, you know, re-watching some highlights from the Olympiacos game to prepare. And then I was just thinking about, like, you know, the players' rotation, who goes in where. And I'm... I'm I'm so much more happy with how the players are performing so that I don't feel as bad going to the bench or, you know, rotating some of these positions as I used to. And players are really stepping up. And, you know, Lacazette for Obama-Yang isn't as straightforward as you would think, you know? Like, there there are some arguments, as we had a couple podcasts ago, about maybe Lacazette should be starting over Obama-Yang. And so, yeah, like, that that was a you know, something that felt, I didn't feel as scared as I would have maybe again two, two months ago. 
Yeah, so it could have very easily have been a, a scratch for an injury or something like that, which was my initial assumption because I hadn't really paid attention to the lineup prior to the game kicking off. So I was trying to figure things out at the last minute. But um, once it came came to light that it was a, a disciplinary issue, uh, I wasn't surprised, I guess. I, I don't know. There, there'd been some stuff that you hear, you, you hear whispering of, of Aubameyang kind of, not being the most um, uh, conformist when it comes to the, the team rules, so I, it wasn't too surprising um, that that something happened. But I guess the result being him getting benched in the biggest game, biggest game of the season, or one of the biggest games of the season, um, that was maybe a bit of a surprise. And and there was a lot of talk about. Uh, you know, was Arteta making a mistake doing that? And I think in retrospect, you can say no. But at the time, you know, if, if Arsenal had lost that game, I think he would be having to take sole responsibility for that loss. And I think a lot, lot of pressure would be put on him anyway if they lost. But when you, you do that sort of thing right before the game starts and shake things up like that, it certainly puts the target on your back. So, um, it could have been really bad, but it actually turned out really good because I think um, despite the risk, since it did turn out well, it really does um, establish some good expectations from this team because I think you have to hold Aubameyang to a higher standard um, as the captain. He is, he is supposed to be the example to all the young players and all the players in general, and we, you, you can't look the other way. If, if he's consistently breaking the rules. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I'm a sports documentary uh, junkie. So uh, there's a new last chance you, which is all about like a basketball community college basketball. And it's a, you know, a lot of the players have discipline issues and that's why they're at community college and not playing at the division one schools. And to see how coaches at that level are dealing with it in a very, is you realize that players kind of go up and down. A lot of players do with this kind this struggle with the authority of the coach and what discipline means. And there, there's a, a very fine balance that a coach has to play with of too much discipline. And then you lose the whole team too little discipline. And you, the players just stop playing as a team, you know, and stop doing the thing, the, this annoying things they have to do to make a winning team. And I think this is one of those cases where Arteta had to really kind of just put his foot down and say, because apparently this isn't his first, you know, infraction of the, of the rule. Mm-hmm. It's just got, it's kind of like the persistent fouling we were talking about earlier. At some point you have to give the yellow card. It's um, pretty interesting that he wasn't completely omitted from the game day squad. So I have a feeling if we were down a couple of goals, we might've seen Aubameyang's face pop sure. up. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I do think it just, uh, was something Arteta had to do. It, it it's a, a thing that coach you managers have like do it's, it's, you have to be a good manager. You have to make that call and it's, it's not always the easy call. Yeah. And I think it, it as a player who, who is the captain and has, is on a, a large contract that he just, just signed on the off season. I think you have to establish that you're not going to coast, that you don't get special rules, that you're, you're part of this team and you're just, this, you may, you are 
held to a higher standard, but you're also um, not above anything as far as what the rules are. Like you're not going to get special breaks. And it seems like they have bent over backwards for him. You know, when he took the leave for uh, the his his mother or family members being sick, um, you know, the team went out of their way to make sure he was accommodated for that. And surely that had an impact on our um, or the games that he wasn't available for. Uh, but you know, when you when you do something like that, and then he kind of isn't stepping up it, it hurt you know it feels even worse because it's like well we we went out of our way for you and you can't even show up on time or you know it's like it's to, to Arteta I think he he has done what he what he has to do to be fair and I think that it's only fair to expect Aubameyang to reciprocate and be on top of things and, and I think it's also as a captain I think he should probably be the first person there in the last to leave, not the last person there in the first to leave, which is what happened uh, this game. So I think I, I have concerns about the long term. Um, you know, part of Chris's question here is, do you think we've put this behind us or do we expect more issues? I don't know. <laughs> I would hope that uh, Arteta drawing a line in the sand here has gotten through to Aubameyang and any other player um, because, you know, he's not the only person who's, uh, ever broken the rules. I mean, we know uh, William had a a sneaky trip to Dubai at some point here before I think one of the Leeds games. Um, so you know those those sorts of things are happening in the team, and we don't hear about everything. I don't think um, Arteta's out there to necessarily uh, air air the team's dirty laundry uh, every week. I think he tries to keep it um, in house, as he says, but. You know, I think you you kind of have to say a little bit about why a player isn't in the lineup. So I I, I understand why he, you know, kind of alluded to what was going on, but without really spelling it all out. So I think he's that he, he has to make sure that Aubameyang is is held accountable both by the the public and the the team. And I, I don't know. I think it's it's important that the the standard is set and the the culture is established and and everybody there understands what what the expectations are and what the repercussions are if you don't meet those expectations yeah and like i i think sometimes people blow things out of proportions too i think probably obama yang was a little peeved in the moment but i think you know in a couple of days this is all just going to blow over i I, I, I'm not too worried that this is going to blow into a full-blown issue. I think Aubameyang does have to, you know, take the fact that he is the captain into account and that, you know, there is more expectations with that captain's armband that, you know, maybe other players don't have. But if that's a, a you know, a, a responsibility you're willing to take, that's, you know, part of part of being captain. And I think for me, if I was a, the coach and and I was looking at my captain to um, make things right, I wouldn't want him to just show up on time from now on. I would like to see the overcorrection and like start being early, start setting that example to other players that hey, we should we should all be getting here before you know meetings start before we're expected to be here. We should be ready to go and not just walking in on time. I feel like setting those just little bits of higher standards, even if everybody shows up on time and you have your captain there ready and waiting for him, I think that just really 
sets the the bar high and um those little things really do add up uh when you're talking about team culture exactly i mean we all have worked in a you know some sort of work office environment i assume or most of us have and it is isn't the fact that in mostly offices i worked at like if you were like five minutes late once you're gonna get fired or get but you know your bosses knew uh, <laughs> if you were one of the people that were persistently late. And if it happened a lot, they, you know, they would mention to you. But, you know, it's also reflected in other things that happen. And everyone knows those people in your office. And, you know, there's a little bit of, I don't know, people see it, you know. Yeah, I think that's that's the thing is those those little things do add up over time and they they stand out in a coach's mind and they stand out to people who are always watching. I mean, like it's not like these young players aren't paying attention to what Aubameyang's doing at all times and and taking notes. So, we want we want our captain to be um uh at, at a high level all the time, especially when he's on a big contract to to, you know, um, to come back and, and coast is not what you want. You want a player that's going to continue to set a high standard until the end. And I know this is well, well off topic and maybe we can, if you want to put a pin in it, but I wouldn't be horrifically upset if the uh, captainship was passed on to another player at some point. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know if I see him as the long-term captain. I, I think we'd have to, reassess that in the off season <laughs> yeah and then I, th- I think it may be reassessed i think part of him getting captain was a part of his uh re-signing de- part deal but does it i never felt like he necessarily wants it like it just doesn't seem like his personality i think it, it, there's a prestige part of it that he may want that it's a uh, you know it shows the club's faith in the fact that like you know he's the he's the player he's the man he's the captain you know yeah and i think it strokes his ego a little bit because I, I think if that's not the case, I don't see really why he is captain. Because I, I mean, just from a per, from a, a soccer perspective, captains usually are further back because it's easier to uh, to uh, organize the team um, and see the ball going. As whereas a forwards usually just looking straight at goal. Uh, there's and you know as you said, he doesn't really seem to have a, a very vocal personality on the pitch. Right. So I, I, I would like somebody that is, is more of the, the vocal variety, but, um, we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see how that, how that pans out. I, it may be that you're, you're correct that it's, it's kind of something that's expected of a player of his status, but, uh, I don't know. I, th- I feel like he's, he's got to uh, live up to that as well. He's got to hold up his end. It shouldn't just be automatic. Definitely. Um, well, Besides the the uh, the, the uh, benching of Aubameyang, was there anything exciting that happened before the first Arsenal goal? Uh, I really just it, it was interesting to well before the first Arsenal goal, there was some interesting things for sure. Um, <laughs> I don't know uh, what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, well, I, you know, the first thing that really jumped out at me was that the just the control Arsenal seemed to have over the game for the most part. I mean, up in, um, you know, probably the first 30 minutes of that, that game, they, they looked like they, they had that game in, in hand and, and, and the left side specifically looked really dominant. Um, of course we expect Tierney to get up and down quite a bit, but 
his com- combination play with with Emil Smith Rowe is just breaking down that side. Like you said, Doherty was just giving up space left and right, and I think he was he had his hands full between the two of them. It's like he would step up to um, cover Tierney, and then Emil Smith Rowe would just time a perfect run in behind, and it was just a cat and mouse game. It was those the it was a two on one practically because they was always having to pull over a second defender um, from the midfield to help cover one of the two Arsenal players. So it, it really forced Tottenham to react and it, it created some, some interesting matchup matchups over there. So I was really enjoying that part of it. I, I love, I had mentioned earlier, but it was, I loved watching that uh, duel because it was just so dominant on that side. And then uh, out of nowhere, Son pulls up with a, a ham, hammy and hammy injury, and uh, all of a sudden the, the game game looked a little little bit different. Uh, Lamela comes in to replace him, and not not too long after that, one wonder goal out of nowhere, a, a way against the run of play, like the I. I Tottenham were not in this game up until that that thirty second minute goal from Lamela. Yeah, that it, it was so annoying because it's so just like Arsenal, where they dominate or this year's Arsenal, where they just they it was domination. It was it was just such great movement, such great passing. We didn't uh, finish a couple chances, which how how many times we should like keep track of how many times we say that in this podcast at this point <laughs> right uh but uh, you know there's some chances we could have finished and then that goal just came out of nowhere out of left field i'm i sure it's a wonder goal i mean i'm sure they'll release a dvd or something about it uh, <laughs> the uh, one highlight yeah exactly but i mean that that and that really was their only highlight of the first half like it was crazy they, they were just arsenal was just dominating that team and you know we talk about it a little bit but that and i joke with some confidence about it but like at that point i was like this is how the game's gonna go isn't it yeah the one nil with a stupid wonder goal arsenal's gonna have 80 percent of the possession and just never finish their chances that was just what flashed in my mind and i try not to be a negative person but you know following arsenal those are the thoughts that come through your mind yeah, we we have we have a bit of uh, PTSD when it comes to <laughs> getting scored on, um, but the you know if if you were to strip away the fact that this was a Tottenham player scoring against Arsenal, that was a crazy goal. It was a crazy. Give goal. him credit for that. I mean, it, the I I try not to. <laughs> I'm you may not catch me saying nice things about him, but because uh, the other things I actually hate the player himself as well. Like I think sure. it's a cheap, horrible player. So I it, I the words would stick in my mouth, but I think what I will say is a po- in a positive way about it. It was, I don't think you could fault our keeper or defense on that goal. It was just a goal that was going to go in no matter what. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, the, the, the Rabona with, with a nutmeg through party's legs to yeah. completely catch Leno off guard. I mean, the, the confluence of events to make that happen it was pretty lucky. I, there, there's yeah. skill involved, but that that was definitely some luck, some major luck to have those things come come, come together in that moment. Yeah, I mean, and and to be fair, doing a Rabona is really hard. I've tried it once, and I think I fell straight on my face. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, to do it that accurately and to, to curve it around Leno, though, you know, it's 
that was a hit it and hope sort of thing. I, I, I don't think you try to do that necessarily, yeah. but I don't think you try to do it unless you feel like you could possibly score. I mean, you'd look pretty, pretty dumb if you were trying to do that in the box. So yeah. I, clearly it's something that he has in his toolbox. I think it's something he's done before. Yeah, he did it in the Europa League uh, right. a few years back. But I mean, the thing is, that's funny, is like he doesn't score other than those goals. Like he hadn't scored since October or something like that. Like <laughs> the man doesn't score, but then he pulls that out of his hat. Like, I, yeah. Yeah. But uh, that that is one of those ones you, you watch it and you're like, well, that's uh, was not going to be stopped. I mean, you just, you cannot predict that sort of thing. And I, I would say most the best keepers in the world could be beat by that sort of thing. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty tricky. Yeah. I didn't like, like, cause I actually kind of, the, when I re, cause they played it like a million times. And so when I was rewatching it, I was less interested in, you know, what the Tottenham player was doing, was just trying to like, see if there's any way, you know, our, an Arsenal player could have stopped. And really when you're looking, I don't think there is a realistic way. So there's no fault. It's just, you know, sometimes you get beat by a wonder, a wonder strike. Yeah. So that was that was in the thirty second minute, but uh, you know it wasn't super long before Arsenal got back into things, and really it was well timed because going into the half down a goal would have been really rough and and just unfair to the team that dom that really dominated that first half. Um, so luckily Odegaard comes comes to the rescue, second goal in a week. I, I I fall more and more in love with this player every time I watch him. He was, and you know, it wasn't just that goal or either like the goal against uh, Olympiacos, which was amazing, or this goal. It's he plays and the way he plays, his passing. He, he it's just amazing. Like I, I just enjoy watching. He's I, I I said it before, but he's a player that we would be watching on these old. Arsene Wenger sides and he would have fit in perfectly with those sides. That's exactly how we should be playing soccer. And like his pedigree is real. He like, I know it's, it's rare when you hear a player coming in and everyone's talking him up and just for him to hit the ground running and really show those qualities. It's a, uh, and if you play FIFA, definitely start him. He's amazing on FIFA. Oh, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to do that. I, yeah. He might be a player I, I take into career mode. <laughs> um, I, it's interesting to me watching rewatching that that play, um, and kind of thinking back and how that that first half unfolded, and with the amount of success that we were finding going down the left hand side, um, it was kind of a matter of time until they were able to make that connection. But really, I think it does come down to what to what. Um, what we were talking about with his his intelligent play, and in that he this is speculation, of course, but you know it's like there's there's a lot of intelligence in the way that he makes his runs and the way that he presses, and that was a that was a key part to that first half as well was his pressing because um, he was causing turnovers. But on top of that, I think he looks at what what Emil Smith Rowe and um, Tierney were doing down that left hand side. And there were quite a few opportunities where they were getting down to the um, the end line and doing those cutbacks. And that used to be the bread and butter of this team when um, Emery was in charge. And it, it was always kind of um, the the fallback was was getting our backs to that end, our, <coughs> excuse me, our outside backs to that end line and getting those cutbacks sort of um, and, and having 
Lacazette or somebody positioned in that central area, you know, that, that penalty spot, but nobody was taking up that spot. And, and the, the, the play was there and it was finally like Odegaard said, okay, I'll take the space if you're going to give it to me. And he just stopped right there. And it was so easy for him to get picked out with the, the play that had already been happening, but nobody had taken up that position. So it's like, it, it was just like it clicked and it was really great to see Odegaard get a, a second goal in the week because um, confidence breeds more goals. Yeah, and and what he does so well is he just makes the rest of the team better. The players around him are better for him being there. And and I'm 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 trying not to overhype, and I'm going to try and take a, a breath here. But like he he reminds me of the way what De Bruyne does for City is what he's doing for Arsenal right now. And they're not the same player. I get it. And, you know, it's only been a couple games. So like, don't, I don't want to like take the hype train way too far out, but it is just really nice to see a player filling that role. Mm-hmm. I, you know, we, the other player that gets compared to De Bruyne a lot is Emile Smith-Rowe. And I, I, I think he ended up with man of the match for that game. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody who does not, um, make the score sheet very often. And really I was so sad to see him hit the crossbar because that was, he is deserving of a goal for all the work that he's been putting in, but his, his, his intelligence in the, at the runs that he was making as well. Um, just the way that he was, he was holding back and, and waiting until defenders committed and then making his runs like that, that sort of intelligence. I, I'm just so pleased that they've, um, you know, between Odegaard, Tierney, and and Millsmith Rowe, that that grouping, it's just it's so fun to watch them play and to pick teams apart. And I hope that 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 chemistry continues to develop. I just did not expect Millsmith Rowe and Odegaard to be so complementary. And I, I just think once they um, both get get um, confidence, that it's, it's going to be tough to beat them. I I, I think. Uh, Emil Smith Rowe is a, a goal away from really making a break a breakthrough. Yeah, and you know, as you said, uh, the the chemistry between the two of them is the I don't know the most promising part for me. And you know, when we picked up Odegaard, I think a lot of people were worried that uh, he was going to take time away from Smith Rowe, and there was kind of a, a like for like kind of a situation with the two of them. But as we've started to see, it is definitely that they are complementary on the field and they don't step on each other's toes when they're playing on the field together. Yeah, I, I, they are not the same player by any means, but they can play the same position. I think that's um, that's clear that Emile Smith-Rowe could very easily be in that number 10 spot, but he doesn't look out of place on the left. And I, it's... Um, crazy to think that he could uh displace pepe who's looked so um dangerous lately and and consistently dangerous when he's gotten gotten into the lineup but there's just so much uh intangible things well not intangible but you know stuff that doesn't make the uh the score sheet you know he's he's not a um crazy assist guy he's not a a a crazy goal scoring guy but he creates things for other players he creates space for other players to run into he's one of those um force amplifiers that that every team needs 
And I think he has the potential to be that assist man, that creator, that um, finisher. He can be a lot of different things for this team. And I, it's just, I, he's steps away from making that breakthrough. And I think he, he could be a top quality player for a long time for Arsenal. So I'm really excited to see what he brings because he's a sure bet. He's going to be around for a bit. Um, Odegaard, I really hope that he can stick around as well. Cause I think the two of them in the same team, it's, it's been wonderful to watch. Well, with the Madrid's result in the champions league today, I'm I'm more confident that he might stay just because I think Zidane's going to still be there. And for whatever reason, Zidane doesn't rate him, which I think is just absolutely crazy. We'll take all of our money then. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, start a collection now? I, th- I I think there would be a lot of fans willing to give money at this point. Um, just just a, a dollar on every ticket or something until we can uh, get... Uh, get enough to to push that deal across the line because you know he's not going to come cheap i think the better he plays for us the harder it's going to be well we just uh, start up our wine com- company and uh, have the uh, profits go to the odegaard uh, transfer fee all, all all profits go to the transfer bucket <laughs> not just for odegaard for all all, all transfers from here on out It'll i just don't be know a fundraiser I, I don't know if i trust arsenal enough in the transfer market yet to uh to give them all the funds for whatever they want to do but Odegaard, yes. <laughs> maybe maybe we can put some some uh, you know s- some contracts in place. Like we'll give you the money if <laughs> these sorts of players are targeted, or you know, yeah. we'll just put some conditions in, in our our donations. <laughs> um, so yeah, going into the half, tied up was you know about what I expected. I guess I I, I thought that. I thought going into it, they would be pretty even, but really the, that maybe skewed in Tottenham's favor a bit more than it should have. And I, I really felt like Arsenal were, could have been, you know, two up, uh, you know, based on the opportunities they were creating as usual. But, uh, I didn't feel like I was too concerned. Like I felt pretty good that they would find another goal or two in that second half. Yeah, I mean, I I really did feel we were dominant, and it it almost felt it did feel like Tottenham were lucky to be one one at half. Um, I was I just I just always worry because we've seen it this year that us being dominant in the game doesn't always uh, equal out to getting all three points or even getting one point. And there's always that worry, and you know, especially in a derby where you know emotions run a little higher, and you you can always or you can often count on Kane to just pull a goal out of nowhere. So mm-hmm. while I was confident, there's that that nagging part of the back of my mind at halftime that I was like, eh, is this going to go the way I, I, I hope it's going to go? Yeah, I think there's, as an Arsenal fan, you can't be overly confident about um, a, a North London derby. I think... We've we've seen the implosions happen. So especially like you said, Kane can pull things out of out of his ass. So um, any anything can happen really going into that second half and coming out. Um, Saka was pulled from the game, which was concerning. You know, I think anytime a one of your star players is pulled out for injury, you're, you're a little nervous. But Pepe comes in. And like I said, I think he's he. Every time he's played lately, 
he's been such a chance creator. Like you just see him working other teams and Tottenham was no different. I was really pleased with the, the intensity he was able to just bring in right away. And, uh, it was, well, I, I should say Bale left the game. Um, and so that, that was like a, a sign that we were really chipping away at him. Can, and can I just put an introduction here? I, I remember I, I have one or two friends, unfortunately, that I uh, do root for the wrong team in North London. Uh-huh. And one of them on Twitter was so excited about them signing Bale, And he had this like whole long diatribe about like the, the, I believe the words he used were like perfect top three and seeing Bale's performance today, just, uh, I remember that tweet and it just, it made me chuckle inside. It made me chuckle just now. Yeah. I, I tweeted, um, that my, maybe my favorite part of that whole game was my five-year-old daughter. Every time Bale was on screen, she kept saying, look at that gross bun. (laughs) (laughs) I did not, I did not put those words in her mouth. She made that judgment on her own. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing something right. Yeah. You should be, you should be proud of your daughter. <laughs> um, so yeah, game highlight for me right there. But, but I think seeing him benched was, was an admission that things were not going well. And I, I was surprised that he got pulled before, um, Doherty or, you know, they made any change down that left-hand side. Um, I, I thought it was going to be a more defensive, but Bale was not helping at all really. So I guess that's, that's an admission that things could, could be better there. But yeah, I, I really felt like they, they needed to do, do something to try to stop us. And I guess that was it, but it didn't, um, didn't really pan out that way. And not too long after, uh, Arsenal were in the position to score again in, in a bizarre fashion, I guess. Um, but I, I do have to call out that the, the thing that led to our second goal and the, maybe one of the high, big highlights of the game for me was that pass from Pepe to set up Lacazette. Wasn't that gorgeous? I, I didn't know he had that in him. I, I, he's not the setup guy in my mind. He's the, by, he's the guy that should be on the end of those passes. Well, I mean, I think that, it, that pass really shows that I think Pepe is really finding a place on the team. Mm-hmm. I think it's a different place than we expected him when we paid that amount of money for him. But we have to think of that money that we sent as a, a, a spent sunk cost. It, it's it's just it's gone. It's it's should be out of our minds. And he really is finding a role in this team. And if he can continue to do what he's doing, including doing those types types of passes, I'm I'm happy to have him as an Arsenal player. Yeah, it, it was outstanding. And it, it, I was like, as soon as that happened, I was like, oh. If if he if Lacazette doesn't score on this, I mean, what a waste of a good pass. But you know, seconds later, he collects and just completely whiffs on the ball. I mean, I, it was it was a pretty poor shot, but lucky for us, he gets completely cleaned out by. Um, I'm not sure who actually committed the foul. Was it San- Sanchez? I don't yeah, San- yeah. Okay. I think it, I think it was uh, yeah Sanchez that that got the yellow card for that. Um, yeah, it was uh, pretty. Well, I think I think we have a question about this, don't we? We um, do. Do you want me to read it? Yeah, go for it. Uh, it's from uh, Joe Robinson, um, and we'll talk about your fantasy league or fantasy players later, Joe. Um, but uh, he wants to know uh, what do you make of a number of pundits and journalists taking issue with Arsenal's penalty? To me, it was an a- it was an absolutely nailed on 
if it had been at the other end and Louise had flown into Kane like that, I'd be annoyed at Louise, not the way. Yeah. What was it? What was your initial impression of that? It went to VAR right away, of course. Um, but what, what were your thoughts as it was being reviewed? So I'm going to go on a little bit of a soapbox, which is I have no idea why people are freaking out about this not being or this being a penalty. I like, so what if it is not a penalty? If, so if that happens outside the box, that's an obvious foul, right? It doesn't matter if it was going towards the goal, right? Right. Like I, I, and so I don't know why if the foul is committed in the box, the player has to have shot on goal. Getting a penalty and dogzo or a denial of goal scoring opportunity are two separate things. The the player who did that uh, foul did not get a red card, which is a, if it was a goal scoring opportunity, he w- would have gotten a red card. It was a foul in the box. Literally, the definition of what a penalty is is a foul in the box. There's like, I think there's eight different things that you can get an indirect free kick in the box. And those are for non-contact fouls. Usually the goalkeeper picking up the ball when he shouldn't, or you can uh, have a dangerous play if you don't make contact with the player. Like you have a high boot and it goes near your face, but it doesn't make contact. You can get an indirect free kick in the box. But if you have a contact foul in the box, whether or not the shot's going in, if ball's still in play, it's a foul. Like I, and I, and it just, it, it boggles my mind that there's so many, football people so many soccer people that are like freaked out about this being a penalty and it's for me it's it's a, like i would give it as a stone cold example of a penalty like in a ref meeting yeah i was i was pleased that it it went in our favor i i couldn't really see how it wasn't a foul but i'm trying to wrap my head about around what people what the argument against it is and I, I'm trying to understand maybe if if people are saying that it wasn't, uh, if it wasn't a shot, then it wasn't. It's not a, a, a viable penalty. I, I just can't really understand what the argument against it is. Yeah, I mean, as I say, it's like if it's a foul outside the box, it's a foul inside the box. You like if he got taken out, you know, in the midfield passing the ball or just messing up a pass. If he got fouled in the midfield, it's called a foul. He got fouled inside the box. Like I, I, I literally don't know why. Like I heard, I didn't see this, but I guess Jermaine Genus and British TV was like going off about how that can't be a penalty. And I'm just like, I don't. Understand. I think I think he even made the suggestion that it was Lacazette that was making the dangerous play, <laughs> which I can't really understand because he was swinging at the ball. He was making a play on the ball. Yeah. And when it, when you watch that back, I Sanchez does not get the ball. He does not look close to getting the ball. And so I, I it, even if you it, consider that was like, um, if if Lacazette was even just trying to control the ball, say he was like a step backwards, I think he had. Con- I know I'm trying to think if he was trying to control the ball and make a shot, but anyway, if he was just trying to control the ball and 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 make a play from there to score. I, I, you can't really make the argument that he needs to be shooting the ball on goal or making a good shot on goal for it to be a, a penalty. I think you know anytime a player tries to collect the ball in the goal and gets or in the penalty area and gets fouled, it's a penalty. Like I I can't even make the argument that um, uh, because he wasn't able, you know wasn't in a good goal scoring position that he wasn't it shouldn't be a penalty. I just 
Yeah, I mean that's the thing is like if it's the the this denial of goal starting opportunity was a separate infraction, that's when the player would get a red card, you know? Right. And obviously the player didn't get a red card. He was didn't deny a goal goal scoring opportunity. He just committed a foul in the box. And as I said, if you can it's just it, it's very straightforward. And I'm I I you know watched it live and then I was very surprised to hear people complaining about it later. And, you know, and it, it, the funny thing to me was a, a lot of the same people that were like talking about how Louise's penalty a few uh, weeks back was a stone cold penalty. You remember the one where he like barely like clipped with like the toenail of his shoe, which I don't think makes sense, but barely clipped a player and the player went down. And they, these people were like, well, you know, a foul is a foul, goes down in the box, da, da, da. The same people are arguing that the, that wasn't a, a penalty, and I'm I'm just so confused. I guess I could. Well, I can't really understand it, but I mean, I I'm sure people were saying Lacazette making was more making contact with Sanchez and not the other way around. But I I, I did not see it that way. Sanchez clearly was flying through and was not in control. It wasn't like. Sanchez was was stationed was stationary and and Lacazette's follow through um, kicked Sanchez and Lacazette fell over or something. It wasn't it wasn't like Sanchez was just an innocent bystander and, and Lacazette did all the work. Where you know because I I feel like in in that alternate scenario you were talking about, Luis was really an innocent bystander. He wasn't even trying to make a play on the on on the ball or the player. He was just running. Whereas this was. Sanchez and Lacazette coming together. There was clearly an attempt f- to play the ball by Sanchez. He didn't get it, but at least you know both players were were pl- were going, um, were making a play, and and it just ha- so happened that uh, Sanchez made a poor play. But yeah, I, I think that's a very different scenario from from the Louise situation. Yeah, there's, I, I think it's interesting that there are like a lot of people that, and you know, I don't claim to be the rules expert, and you know, according with the handball rules right now, I have no idea what's going on with handballs. But uh, like, I think some basic things it shows you how many players and and certain professionals and managers like Mourinho don't understand the basic rules of the game yeah it it, it get, gets a little fuzzy when you seem to have these moving targets or very inconsistent calls so then the basic stuff starts to get questioned <laughs> exactly but it went in our favor for once uh and rightfully so and like i said slots at home very cleanly and Arsenal are up going into the last 30 minutes of the game. Uh, you know, the, the the cherry on top of this game, I think, was uh, the the late Lamela situation because within a period of, I think, six or seven minutes, uh, he, he found a way to get not one, but two yellow cards. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. I, I, I can't even think of what the first foul was. It was a gosh. I'm trying to remember. I think it was a bad tackle. Yeah, I'm trying. It was to... something fairly innocent, like nothing crazy over the top. But the second foul was just like, "You are dumb. Yeah, you should know better." <laughs> well, just, as I say, it's a it's a foul that actually doesn't get called, and I think there are a couple pundits that are like, "Oh, that's a soft yellow," but it is a straight up yellow. It was hands to the face, and yeah, you know. And the thing that's funny about that is 
Kane just took out. I forgot who he took out, but he just obliterated a player that should have been a yellow and it could have been a red because he like rugby tackled a player out of frustration. And was it Gabrielle? Because that's the one that's been going around. Yeah, I think it was Gabrielle. And, uh, and like, not like it was in that same sequence of play is where Lamella got that yellow card. So it was pretty interesting. Yeah. Always interesting to see what's not getting called. Yeah. But yeah, the, uh, the second, the second foul was the, the hands to the face on Tierney and, and Tierney has been known to, to, to milk those sorts of situations, but this one clearly he caught him, caught him too high. It was, I don't think Tierney, um, you know, overly embellished necessarily. He definitely got a hand to the face. So I think it was justifiable him going to ground and, and, you know, if he forced that yellow card to happen, great. Cause Lamela deserved it. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, uh, Lamella was getting these, uh, really just horrible fouls all throughout the game. And he was lucky not to already be out of the game. And it's the, when you, when you get your first yellow, that's the risk you, you, uh, you, you get it, is that, Sometimes you're going to get called for something that, as I said, some people call a soft yellow. I don't call it a soft yellow. I, it's, it is what it is. And you get a yellow, it's your second yellow, it's a red. Like, I think it's, it's again, nothing to be too controversial about. Yeah. So the effect on the game was actually the opposite of what I would have expected because the following, you know, 25 or 20, 25 minutes were actually some of the, worst of a game for Arsenal. I thought they would step up and just, um, you know, I, all they really had to do is continue to control the game. And I think they would have seen that out cleanly, but instead they were making really just poor mistakes. I think, um, party had a couple bad passes in there and it just seemed like all of a sudden we realized we were, we could possibly win this thing and it just got in, in, in the player's heads and there, it was, you know, I think Kane had a, a header that was uh, called offside and, and uh, shot off the post that um, resulted in a rebound that, that Gabrielle had to clear off the line. It was unbelievably nerve-wracking as a fan because I, I was about ready to throw something. I was just like, why do, why do these games always have to come down to these last minute, these last gasps? Um, it was nice to be in the lead and not trying to chase, chase a win, but, uh, that was, that was scary. Yeah, it was scary. And I think it shows how confidence plays in a team. And I think we're, we've been saying we're kind of on the precipice right now of turning the corner. And I feel like, you know, a, a few more games like this will turn the corner, but right now we just, we get nervous and we get scared and we lack that last bit of, I don't know, a swagger for lack of a better word that, you know, some teams have. And it definitely showed at the end of this game, you know, between the, the, the offsides goal and the, the ball hitting the post. And it's just, it was, it was crazy because Arsenal had dominated for that, the game or dominated the game until the 70th minute. Um, and, and, and I know Mourinho has this thing of kind of playing games in, chunks where you know he'll give up possession give up the 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 flow of the game with the idea that you know then the players can play faster so i don't know if it was part of his tactics to like pour it on heavy towards the end and that was it but i think it was just more arsenal's nerves than tottenham changing anything really 
Yeah, it kind of just felt like they were taking advantage of what Arsenal were giving them because they were literally giving them the ball. I mean, it was it was pretty, it was it was pretty much Arsenal trying to shoot themselves in the foot <laughs> as usual, and and literally just kicking the ball out of bounds. Like it was just a couple couple moments of just head scratching play, but luckily they were able to see it out. And I, I. I it, it it may not make much of a difference at the end of the season, but I, I feel much better after after watching that game. Um, just about where we are in the world, and I, I do feel like Tottenham may may finish ahead of us. It's hard to say, but um, I do feel like Arsenal's going in, in a better direction than they are, just yeah. based on that game. Uh, it, it it makes me feel good. This week has been a a good week. Uh, I do feel that we are headed in the right direction. It's, you know, it's slow and painful and it's not always going to be perfect, but I, I just have so much more confidence going forward. And I think we're, we're doing the right things and we're just a few steps away from just kind of getting to this next level. Yeah. I think that's a, a, you know, we, we kind of skipped over the, uh, earlier game from the week, but, uh, the Olympiacos game, we should, we should probably chat about that real quick because that was another game where, you know, it felt like, um, you know, Arsenal were going to be Arsenal. And it was, um, you know, maybe a little more challenging than they needed needed to make it. But uh, what was, a, you know, an well, not an early goal, but a... a Another Odegaard goal in that game. That was such a nice goal. A rocket, if you will. It was it was as as pretty as they come, and uh, you know you, you hope you would hope that Arsenal would be able to build on that. But you know they let they let uh, Olympiacos get back into the game in, in the second half. So we're we're tied one to one, and you think, man, that's. I think there were a couple moments in the first half where we just missed open shots. There was a couple, a couple of them. I was just like, gosh, we got, is this going to be another one of those games? And then Odegaard scored and I was like, okay, maybe not. And then Olympiacos comes back and I'm like, okay, maybe. <laughs> but, um, then they were able to, to pour it on in the, in the latter, latter stages of the game. And Gabriel comes up with a, just a glorious header out of nowhere with a William assist. Yeah, it wasn't out of nowhere. It was actually a great uh, ball from William, which I'm not, not one generally to talk about William in, in glowing terms, but that, that was a great cr- uh, ball in from William. Yes. But I, I guess I um, Gabriel has not established himself yet in my mind as a goal scorer. Oh, yes. So I, I think to me that was a beautiful ball from somebody I wasn't expecting necessarily. Not to say he can't do that. He just hasn't done it as much yet for Arsenal. Definitely. Um. And then, and then the to to cap it all off, Elneny comes in uh, in the eighty second minute, and in the eighty fifth scores a, a screamer. Like the it was like Olympiacos just uh, decided to give him all the space in the world, and he took full advantage of it. And uh, I that guy scores some amazing goals in Euro- European play. Well, it's like if you want a textbook definition of acres of space. Olympiacos gave him acres of space. Like there was like a huge bubble around him. I couldn't believe how much room he had to work with. And, and, you know, I'll take it. Um, I think it's great. I mean, I think you saw 
the way the team reacted to that goal was just uh, amazing. You saw how happy the rest of the team were to have him score that goal. Yes, absolutely. Especially so quickly after coming on, too. Yeah, the instant impact. I think, so it should be a fairly straightforward tie at home. And I say that with trepidation. I think the only worrying thing that I took from that the the Olympiacos game was how loose we were in the back. And that, you know, there were a couple, Odegaard had a horrible giveaway at one point. Um, yeah. That all, should have, in all rights, been a goal. Louise had an <laughs> one that should have been a goal. I think there, there are several sloppy plays in the defense and you don't want to let them back in. We got three away goals, which is a nice, nice number to have. And it puts us in the driver's seat. But I, if we make those same mistakes, it could become a very tricky tie to get out of. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I'm, I'm feeling like I think that was a great co- that that comeback win to 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 have a couple really world class goals. Well, I, I think all three of those were world class goals. Um, but to really make a stamp away from home, um, I think that was a great confidence builder going into the the derby game, and then to to go come home for the second leg. I feel like they should be feeling fairly confident. And um, you know, th- one thought I had with. Obama Yang, um, not playing, you know, he's, I would say he's probably a, a shoe in for getting the start on Thursday and it, that having arrested Obama Yang is, is probably a really good thing to shut that game down with. Yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see what the lineup looks like. Cause I, I can never seem to guess it right, <laughs> but I would expect him to be in there. I, what I would hope for the game, I don't know if, you know, I'll be correct in this but what i would hope is that abameyang starts the game and if we can kind of shut it down get an early goal then have martinelli come in to kind of close out the game get him some minutes and uh you know see him play some more i think that would be my ideal setup for the game yeah there's a guy who really just has made made a name for himself in european play so i think he would he would feel right at home home in that scenario so I, i'd love to see him get some more minutes for sure but I, I'm I'm feeling pretty confident. I don't want to be overly confident because we have we have imploded before. But I, you know, it would be nice to really get over this hump. You know, against the team that uh, took us out of it last year, it would be nice to get them out of the way and and in a decisive fashion, so we can go into the next round feeling like we got the monkey off our back. Yeah, it's 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 always nice to get redemption. So. Yeah, and I it, if they can keep Olympiacos out of it, you know, like really dominate that home leg too, I think that would be a good confidence booster um, going into whoever they play next because it's only going to get harder from here, of course. But uh, I think beating the team that that knocked you out will will make you definitely feel like you can take on pretty much anybody after that. Yeah, and speaking after that, we have one more game. These games come <laughs> thick and fast. That's why we have oh, such long podcasts. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> well, we have a West Ham coming up. What do you uh, feel about that game? Uh, you know, I who would have thought that I'd have to be this concerned about West Ham? But you know, they they are legit um, and and holding strong in that fifth spot. So I'm jealous. I want I want what they've got. <laughs> I would love to be in that position. So I, but the only way we're going to continue to make a, well, I shouldn't say continue because we've really been 
pretty solidly in tenth for a bit here, and it's it's really hard to shake up these um, positions without beating the teams in front of you. So I think we have to take every opportunity to do that. And so beating beating West Ham is a must in my mind if we're going to climb out of that tenth position and make any attempt to either catching Tottenham or or even getting into a, that that fifth position. Yeah, I mean, again, like must win isn't isn't a correct word for it, but like I think it's a very important game. Uh, West Ham has looked good. There, there are some teams that end up in those like kind of like fifth positions that you're surprised about. And you're like, huh, it's just like kind of the run of form, how they made it. But having watched a couple West Ham games, they do, they do look good. They look dangerous. Uh, Moisey there has got them going pretty well. They have, you know, a couple familiar faces. You have uh, Lucas Fabianski there. Uh, they have just a great group of uh, players. Their captain, Mark Noble, is Mr. <laughs> West Ham. And we forget that this is a Derby too. It's a London Derby. It's a London game. Um, and from how I understand it, because I, I do have a couple West Ham fans and I'll probably be uh, sitting there chatting back and forth on a text with one of my really good friends who's a big West Ham fan. And but they are much more amped about it than we are. It's kind of like USA and Canada rivalry type of thing. <laughs> so uh, I, I have no doubt that they'll be up for it. Yeah, I think it's it's going to be a, a tough game. It's not going to be a, a walk in the park by any means. But I, I, I do feel good about where we are coming from. I, I think depending on how this Olympiacos game goes um, may uh, impact the, the confidence. But I think these last couple games leave us with a lot to build on. So if, if they can de- decisively or, you know, just get past Olympiacos and continue in Europa league, I think it really um, bodes well for, for a good game against West Ham. Yeah. And, you know, confidence gets confidence. Uh, and hopefully we can ride this, uh, this good feeling we have after uh, beating Tottenham to a victory at West Ham. Yeah. I think the, um, you know, watching watching the comments uh, that uh, Henri Henri made on the um, was it Monday Night Football or whatever he does uh, <laughs> punditry on, but one of the things he he said that Arsenal the thing that Arsenal are missing right now is consistency, and I think that's that's true and has been for this whole season because we've had these um, good spells or good games here and there, but stringing them together now is more important than ever just because we are hitting our last 10 games. We've got Europa League mixed in there. You know, it's it's more important now than the rest of the season to find form, to find consistency, to figure out how to do this week in and week out. So if we could figure out how to do that now, um, that would be fantastic. And, and, and I think, it, like you said, that, that confidence – will continue to build if they can keep doing it and and do it week in, week out. Yeah, and, and we have another question we can probably hit up after the break about uh, the last 10 games. Yeah, good tease. So, you know, take a break, go go to the bathroom, get, get yourself another drink. Whatever it is you do while you're listening to us, go take care of yourself and meet us on the other side. Okay, welcome back. 
we've got a couple more questions for you. So let's get right into it. Uh, Tim, do you want to take that first one? All right. Uh, the question is from uh, Daniel Moran. And uh, he asks, considering the success we've had this last week, especially but it, the overall state of our play since the Chelsea game back in uh, December being much better, do you think we can win the Europa League? <laughs> Taking a less uh, fan-blingered approach, how far do you think we need to go in the Europa League for our season to be considered acceptable or a success? I tend to think the semis are a bare minimum. Oh, it's so tough because I, I I think, you know, if you're going to get an Odegaard to stick around, you have to have European soccer available. At the so very least, yeah. I, I don't... I don't know if we can consider this the season's success. I mean, especially when you consider we had an FA Cup to fall back on last year to to get us into Europa League. Um, now that we're we're in Europa League, we need to push on and get get to that next level. Like that that was a miracle in itself that we were able to get in that way. I I, I think anything less than than the the whole shebang is going to be seen as a failure and that's that's high high standards i get it but i think it's so much is riding on us getting into europe somehow and i think our best path forward is the europa league unfortunately yeah i mean i think to answer the first question quickly like the first part of the question yeah i think we can win the europa league i think on our day i've said it before on our day we are as good as any team in this competition. I don't fear any team the way I would fear some some teams in the Champions League right now. I think we we are as good as any team in the in Europa League, and I'm just I don't think that's fan blinker on. I think that's just a, a, a state a true statement. Uh, I think a lot of us winning is going to depend on the draw. That being said. With, you know, if we keep hit, you know, great team after great team after great team, because there's some, there are some great teams still involved. I think it, it'll be a, a, a tough road. We are entering the part of the competition as Arsene Wenger used to say about the Champions League, where they're all good teams. You know, like it, there's not as many cupcakes left in the going now and then through the, the next few rounds. Uh, I, I can't say that not winning it would mean our, our, our season is a failure or defines our season as a failure. I think our season isn't going to go down in history because of the first part of the season. That's just going to be what caused our season to be not the greatest and to not win a cup competition, whatever the cup competition, I don't think does, does, like makes it a failure. Uh, I think, you know, I would like it to make it to at least the semis. I think we have the team to beat another uh, another good team, whether it's Milan or uh, Man U or whoever makes it through to the next round of the, the good teams left. I think we have the squad to beat at least that team. And, you know, who knows? Yeah, I think we can, if we're in a final, I think we can win it. I'm just... Uh looking something up right now because I was surprised at uh, something I saw from uh, 538 and their odds for who goes on. Um, 
Let me see if I can pull that up. I mean, I haven't trusted 538 since 2016 as much, <laughs> but yeah. I but I was I was surprised at where Arsenal were at. So, you know. No, go tell me what what is it? Okay, Europa League. Here we go. Um, and I uh, let me send you a link so you can see this as well. You're filling me with suspense right now. I know, but if you take a look at this, we're at the top of their predicted odds. I'm telling you, for winning the whole thing. I, I we have. I mean, our record in Europa League is, looks pretty good. I, as I say, I think we have a good squad. I mean, you're, you're looking at who's left, right? And of the caliber of teams that we are, it's Man U, Ajax, uh, that team that we just beat, uh, via Milan, maybe Roma. I don't really rate Villarreal. Like, and those are the teams that I, I think are kind of on the top. And I think they are, we're as good as them. We, we, we can beat them. I, I'm not saying we're, we're better or anything like that, but the Ajax team that is here now isn't the same team that made it uh, so far in the Champions League run. They lost like half their players. We just beat Tottenham. I, Man U, I think, is a very beatable team. Milan is a very beatable team. And the rest, you know, are teams that we should be expected to beat. So there, yeah. there is a chance, you know, like I, I don't think it's a horrible shout. I think that, you know, no, they've got us uh, a 98% chance to make the quarters. You know, pretty pretty good odds considering how how well we handled the first leg of the Olympiacos match here. Sixty um, percent to make the semis, thirty five percent to make the final, and a nineteen percent, which is the top, for winning the whole thing. Which I and and Man United is right behind us, who's currently I think tied in their first leg. So you know that that could go either way, but I think they you know they. They're probably going to go through, but you never know. But I, you know, like you said, looking at the the other people, the other teams involved, um, we're right in the mix. I'm not. I'm not overly afraid of anybody that's that's in this competition. I think the the one matchup I just would like to avoid, just because of the extra psychological uh, pieces, would be Tottenham and maybe Villarreal after that. But uh, that's you know. Anybody else? I think we've got a pretty good chance, and I'm I'm not even too concerned about Man United. I think they are they are riding on a lot of luck, and so I think that we we definitely are more skilled and can outplay them on their best day. Yeah. So i I don't want to I don't want to hinge our season on it, but it's it is it, it feels to me like just the the thing that is absolutely needed to turn this team and, and the whole picture around is getting to Champions League um, financially uh, recruiting wise um, you know just just overall the thing that we need to really press on is is getting to that next level and I I, I get that that's the the main goal and maybe it's too soon to be expecting uh, Arteta to to do that but I was surprised with the FA Cup, and and I now my expectations are high. <laughs> I wouldn't go too high with your expectations. It's a take a breath, but it kind of leads us into Chris Letterbetter's uh, question. Which did you want to take? 
Oh, yeah, let's see. He said uh, 10 matches to play, and we are behind Spurs by four points and five points out of the Europa League, 10 points out of Champions League. What is your prediction for our final position in the table? Um, Yeah, that's I I think that's that's a lot harder of a hill to climb because the points the points kind of are deceptive because you're looking at uh, if you're just looking at the points. Yeah, it doesn't seem like that much, but we have five five teams ahead of us that we need to leapfrog so they have to start dropping points as well so like i said the if if we're going to make any progress in that direction we have to beat the teams in front of us so beating west ham to me is 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 a must win if you're looking at the table as as um something we need to be taking seriously i i i kind of put Europa League higher in my mind because I think that's more achievable but uh, there's just too many variables I think uh, that need to happen perfectly for us to to make that climb. I think it's interesting though uh, so I, I I always talk about achievable goals and where to set your targets. I think as far as Champions League I think there's uh, there's very little to no point about us talking about it. I think we're out of it I think the start of our season made us out of it. So I'm not, I'm definitely not holding my breath for champions league. Uh, catching Spurs is an extremely achievable goal. I think the way that they're playing is, is in a downward trajectory, seeing the history of what uh, Mourinho does to clubs, especially when he starts reaching adversity and he starts throwing players under the bus, which he did after this game. And it, I think, players don't react well to being thrown under the bus uh, is going to be interesting. But when you look at it, a run into uh, the end of the season, the final 10 games, we play three of those play teams that are above us. You know, we're, we're going to be playing Liverpool again, who talk about a team that's kind of on a downward trajectory. Uh, we play Everton and we play West Ham. And as we mentioned before, and if we can get, points out of those games that definitely helps us get into the Europa League that you know you beating the teams ahead of you is the best way to move up the table I'm you know I'm finally at a point where I'm less looking be below us than a, a, above us and in between those those games that are ahead of us there's a lot of very winnable games we play you know we play Sheffield United Fulham and uh West Brom and, and also uh Newcastle you know those are t- teams that are struggling and yeah, they might be more fired up because several of them are in uh, relegation battles and some of them are already pretty much relegated, but those are teams that we should win. And if, if we deserve to be in the Europa league, we need to beat those teams. So I think there is some case to be made to getting the, the Europa, Europa league spot through the table. I, I think that is um, the most achievable. Well, I, I should say beating Tottenham is the most achievable, followed by the Europa League. I do think Champions League is probably a little out of reach, but um, you, you can only win the games in front of you. Uh, I think beating West Ham and Liverpool are must-wins as far as actually climbing, but you, you can't leave any points on the table. So I think... 
we're, you know, we're going to have to do our best to win out the rest of the season. I think that is maybe unachievable, but you know, not dropping points frivolously and not shooting ourselves in the foot uh, will do wonders. <laughs> I think they there is a great team somewhere in in this squad, and I think they can really do with a bit of confidence and consistency. So we will see if they can continue to build and not um, and not regress. I think that's the, that's the fear is regression right now is is the enemy. We have to continue to press on and, and win every everything in front of us across the board. We have to try to win, and that's that may be um, an impossible goal to try to actually actually win everything. But at this point, you, you cannot um, drop points needlessly. Well, and you know, a ten game win streak isn't feasible necessarily but i think a 10 game undefeated streak is definitely something that is again an achievable goal if i were you know you know talking about long long or short-term goals large picture things to the players i'd be like yeah we're not going to win every game but i think it's not impossible to ask for a 10 game uh lossless streak i i would agree with that i think i look at the the games we have to play and you know the the, the tough ones being Liverpool, West Ham, and, and Chelsea in the remaining 10 games. That's Those seem like games we could tie. Um, and, and if we can pick up full points on the rest of them, we're, we're sitting pretty well, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's 21, 24 points from the last 10 games. That's not bad. I'd feel pretty good about that. Yeah, so as I said, uh, I am... I, Am I holding my breath and saying like we're gonna we're gonna get that uh, the Europe Europa League spot automatically? No, but I think it is a, it's something that's possible. It's something that we mm-hmm. can you know put a goal towards, and that always helps a team because I think often teams that get kind of stuck in tenth and like this mid table morass, like they lose sight of goals, and it can cause them to kind of go on a little bit of a, a losing streak. But if we keep the goal together, I think it's a good possibility. And I know we're being extremely optimistic okay. coming off of a, a derby win, but um, you know, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling confident. And I want, I want that to be the the attitude of the team is to try to win everything. And I think that's certainly an attitude that, that Arteta brings in into this team. And, and you, you never capitulate. You, you always push to try to win everything in front of you. So I don't expect him to let off by any means at this point. We can still technically win the title. That's right. We we could get win out. If you win out and other teams don't win out and every everybody else loses. Yeah. Actually I I actually didn't do the permutations. I'd have to actually make sure that there is a permutation, but technically we have the points to overhaul city right now. Not after next week if city wins. <laughs> that that gold differential though is pretty pretty uh insurmountable. Oh yeah. They've got <laughs> they've got a, a four, 43 goal differential so you know achievable goals and dreams. I think those are both good things to have. <laughs> well, um do we have any more questions? I think that's I think that's all the questions for this week. I mean, it's a long 
is it is it is a long episode. So if you're still with us, if you're still listening for questions, I applaud you. <laughs> uh, let's let's hit the fantasy update and then wrap this sucker up. Uh, so fantasy, neither you and I or I had a very good week, but I think a lot of people are kind of struggling with the uh, the fantasy. I think some of the players that we've been relying on haven't been uh, scoring points. So I got 38 points last week, which I thought you had beaten me until I looked at uh, your total and you're at 34. Uh, our friend of the pod, Charles Allison, got 29 points, which is kind of rough. I, I hope you, you get that together, Charles. Um, the one person I'm going to shout out is a... Uh, is, uh, John Blundell, he had it 63 this week. He's at the bottom normally, so he he found some sort of secret to to get a few points. And nice, you know the I I've haven't been a, talking about the top of the table because it's been pretty stable uh, with Omkar leading. I think he has been leading for quite some time. But uh, Granny Misquith is is catching up. I'm not I'm not going to say it's quite a title race yet, but he's a uh, you know within about 100 points, which is you know, a couple, couple bad games and a couple good games away. Keep it, keeping it a little competitive. That's yeah, nice. Exactly, because I'm definitely not keeping it competitive. <laughs> well, with that, I think that's pretty much it for us, right? I, that that's all we can possibly say. Uh, that's all we can say. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for listening. If you've if you've made it this far, again, I, I give you a big round of applause. I won't clap because it doesn't sound good, but <laughs> thank you to, for making it this far. Uh, if you haven't done so yet, review if you've subscribed. Subscribe if subscribed. Subscribe if you haven't done that yet. Wherever you get your podcast, go and hit that subscribe button. Uh, we'll we'll show up on your phone, on your computer, wherever you get, wherever you listen to your podcast at every week, without you even having to think about it. And follow us on Twitter. We are at W of N London. We have an email address if you'd like to send us emails we are west of north london at gmail.com send us your questions there or on twitter we do have a youtube channel now we don't have one of those nice concise youtube addresses yet but if y'all go and subscribe and help boost our channel that would help us get that nice concise web address from youtube so we actually have to have some listeners and some 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 people paying attention to us before they'll give that to us. So go subscribe to our YouTube channel. That would be a big help to us. And you could listen to our podcast there. And we are actually trying to maybe possibly do some videos here in the not too distant future. So look for more on that as we uh, try to develop the video side of things. But and how do they find our YouTube? Is it uh, just search? You can just search West of North London and that will bring us up. Oh, so awesome. if you know how to search things, you can find us. I do know how to search things. And if you don't, well, what are you doing on the internet? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we've got YouTube, we've got Twitter, we've got an email address. We do have an Instagram. You can probably search for us there as well. And I will try to post our drinks this week so that you can see the cans, see the bottles and, and uh, go out and pick those things up for yourself. If you like our theme song, that's from Bobcat. They are at bobc.at. That's their website. It's a .at site, so don't get confused. It's not bobcat.com. It's bobc.at. 
and their their no course to follow is the name of their album that you can find on their website and i believe i mean we keep adding more things to this outro so i think that is actually it so i appreciate y'all listening tim anything else no okay well then as always see you at the next gun show (laughs) 